take uh, offering now. Uh, this is a time for the church just to give back and worship a small portion of what the, what the Lord has given us. And so we're going to, uh, we're actually going to play a video, brother. Sorry. Savior. And uh, so grateful that we get to do that this morning. So my text passage is going to be in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. And we're going to read verses 13 through 19. It's kind of our anchor. And then we're going to go into other scriptures as well. 1 Corinthians 15, 13 through 19. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It should be uh, behind me on the screen as well, if everything works, which often it doesn't. All right. So we're going to go ahead and read that, and then we'll ask the Lord to meet with us once again. Verse 13, the word of the Lord says this, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. And so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ when he had not raised them up. In fact, the dead are not raised. If in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Verse 17 says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we come before your throne of grace and mercy, Lord. So thankful to be here this morning, to be able to worship you in spirit and in truth, to have the freedom to do so. We recognize, Father, that there are many brothers and sisters throughout this world who cannot do this, cannot meet openly, meet in secret under fear of arrest or even worse, persecution. And so we acknowledge, Father, the blessing, the great blessing that we have in this land to be able to freely worship. And we, God, our prayer is that you would help us and, and uh, to, you would bolster us in, in, in our communities, Father, that, that those freedoms would remain and that we would be able to continue to proclaim your good news, the good news of Jesus, as we are doing this day, Lord. Father, we ask that you would meet with us this morning, individually. All of us who are here, Father, have struggles and trials. And God, I can't minister to them. The church can't minister to them as effectively as you can right now through the ministry of your spirit. And I pray that that would be the case, that you would move amongst your people, that you would move amongst those who have not had uh, an encounter, saving encounter with Jesus, that today would be the day that your spirit would demonstrate to them their need to turn and place their faith in Christ alone. God, I just ask that you would meet with us you bless this time in your word. And Father, most of all, that Jesus Christ would have preeminence in all things. I ask it in his name. Amen. All right, so this passage of scripture, it's kind of a downer kind of passage, right? We, we open up, it's Easter, we're supposed to be happy, but here the Apostle Paul's writing, and he's, he's demonstrating and telling the, his readers that, look, if Christ has not risen from the grave, we are all to be pitied. Right? We, we should be doing something else today. 
And that's the case. That's the importance of what today is as, as Christians, as Christ followers. Some 2,000 years after the historical event occurred, we believe that Jesus rose from the, day, from the grave three days later after he was on the cross. And that him rising from the grave demonstrates his power over death. That consequence that we find all the way back in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where God said, if you partake of this fruit, you shall surely die. The consequence of sin, we know in chapter 3 that that indeed is what has happened. And we know we don't have to look very far outside the walls of this church to see what the consequences of sin and brokenness have brought to this world. And that is where we find ourselves. In the midst of sin and brokenness and hurt and disease and death. And that's some bad news. Until we see, as we continue to read in Scripture, that God has some good news. That even in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he, he told the serpent, he said, I am going to send someone, a he who will crush your head. Already in the third chapter of Genesis, he is already speaking of the Messiah who will come. The Lord Jesus Christ. And that is who we worship today. That is who we proclaim today. That Jesus is the Messiah. He is the way, the means in which God has sent to us, mankind, to be rescued from our brokenness and from our sin. It is some very good news. There's nothing else under heaven whereby we must be saved other than what Christ Jesus has done for us. And Paul's writing to this church and he's telling them, look, if Jesus truly hasn't raised, been raised from the, from the grave, then our faith is in vain, right? That's what he's been saying here. Let's just review those real quick. Verse 14 He's saying our efforts to preach the gospel are in vain. The good news that I just gave you is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel means good news. Yes, there's bad news, and we all encounter the bad news. We can't escape the bad news, but there's good news. God has done a great work in Christ. But if Christ truly hasn't been raised from the grave, then it's in vain. And if Christ be not raised, then our proclamation is in vain. Even our faith, the belief and trust in what Christ has done is in vain. What else? We're, we're false teachers, those who proclaim this good news, the gospel. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead are not raised. So the importance of the resurrection is what I'm getting at. There may be some this morning in our midst who are skeptical about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're here today to proclaim that if that is indeed the case, if Jesus' bones are still in the grave, then it's, our faith is in vain. And that's what Paul's saying here. It's very honest. If, the third point, our hope and future of the resurrection, there's, Scripture declares that because Jesus rose from the grave, those who place their faith in Christ, one day God is going to make a is going to consummate all things and the dead in Christ will rise from the grave bodily, just as Christ rose bodily from the grave. Those who are alive, who are alive and remain will meet together in the clouds with those that have gone before us and encounter Jesus face to face. That is the good news that this, this gospel message just isn't a ticket to heaven. The, the good news is that the, the gospel isn't done yet. Jesus is coming back for his bride. He will return. 
That is the best news of all. But if he did not been, has not been risen from the grave, then that is not the case. Our future resurrection, our hope in that, has been dashed. Fourth one, our faith is worthless. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. We're placing our faith, our belief, in a folklore tale, a fairy tale. If Christ indeed has not risen from the grave. And the worst news of all, that bad news that we talked about in Genesis chapter 1, of the sin that we're born into because of Adam and Eve's uh, transgression, all those who were born after them are born separated from God. Death means separation. And there's a spiritual separation that has occurred because of sin. Because of that, we are born separated from our Creator. And if Christ has not been risen from the grave, then we are still in that condition. We are still in our sins. But I have good news. He is risen. And if Christ is risen, then our faith is not in vain. We are not false teachers, but we are proclaimers of the truth and the good news that all who believe and trust in Christ Jesus will be saved. If Christ is risen, we have a future hope and a resurrection that is coming for those that have gone before us. And for us who labor in this sin-cursed world, we have a hope that is true because Christ is risen. And if Christ has risen, we are no longer in our sins. But those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ alone and his accomplished work on the cross. See, the gospel doesn't just happen that Jesus came and was a good teacher and lived lived the law perfectly. The gospel is that he went to the cross and died for you on the cross. He he went to the cross. It was God's predetermined plan, as we will see, that Jesus would come into the world, take upon flesh, live the law, the standard that God has placed to demonstrate his holiness. He lived that standard for us. Because we could not, because we were in sin. We were separated from him, but he was of God. He came from God. He's God's only begotten. He's God in the flesh. And he came to live that law perfectly for you. And then he went to the cross. He was beaten and whipped, yes. But scripture goes on to say that he took the judgment of sin for you and I that what we deserve because of our sin, because God is holy. If God is truly holy, he must be just. He must punish sin. A judge that just winks at a lawbreaker is not a just judge. God declares himself in his word that he is holy and he's just. And he will wholly judge sin, completely, perfectly, and righteously. And if we are not found in the Lamb's book of life, if we're not clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's what the future events will hold for you. You will be judged according to your works. But if you're in Christ Jesus, if you placed your faith and trust in his accomplished work, do you allow him to take that penalty upon you? And by faith, you believe and receive that. And you turn from any other way of trying to earn favor with your creator, earn favor with God, and trust in Christ alone. The scriptures declare you will be saved. You will be born again. You will be made a new creation. It is the work of the Spirit. It's not a contract that you're going to sign with the Baptist church. It is the proclamation that God, the creator of all things, has given you a way of salvation by trusting in Christ's accomplished work alone. 
the good news is that not only does he pay that penalty for us, he in turn gives us the righteousness of Christ. We are placed inside of Christ. When the Father looks at us, he does not judge us in our own sin, unfortunately, because Jesus paid for it. Instead, he sees the righteousness of Christ. I don't know about you, but that is some good news. Because I've had a lot of sin in my life. I'm so glad I stand under the foot of the cross, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That is the good news. To demonstrate that Jesus' payment on the cross was sufficient, God raised him from the dead three days later, demonstrating his power over death, reversing the curse, essentially, for those who will place their faith in him. That is the good news. That is why we meet here today and celebrate not only that Jesus paid our penalty on the cross, but that he rose from the grave. And that's why Paul can say in Corinthians, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Because Jesus has rescued us and redeemed us from the curse for those who place their faith and trust in Christ alone. And I stand here to, before you this morning to declare the good news to you. That's why we're here. That's what Easter is all about for the Christian. But you don't have to take my word for it either. History flushes this out, that he indeed rose from the grave, that his, his body was no longer there. As we find it in the historical narratives in Scripture, the gospel accounts show and demonstrate that three days later, Jesus' body was out from the grave, and then he appears to not only the 12 disciples, but to 50 and then 500 people saw Jesus walking, the bodily Jesus walking after his death and resurrection three days later. You find extra-biblical historical leaders. Josephus, a Jewish historian, or a historian about the Jews, he, he wrote of these people of the way who would follow this man who, who apparently rose from the grave. And I'm here to tell you that the, the movement of Christianity was a real big concern to, to not only the Jewish religious leaders, but also to Rome. And if they could squelch this movement, they would, and it would be really easy to do. All they would have to do is take people back to the grave and say, there's his body. But history is void of that. Why? Because he is risen indeed. He's gone. I offer you this morning another historical witness, an eye account of what the Apostle Peter declared and saw. This is in Acts chapter 2. Paul, where Peter stands and proclaims to a, a, a Jewish audience they, of Jews from all over the known world had come into Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, a very known and important uh, celebration in the Jewish religion. And so many were there and gathered in the city. And so Paul or Peter stands up and proclaims this gospel message here in Acts chapter 2. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him. The gospel accounts demonstrate miracle after miracle that Jesus did. They demonstrate to those around him, and it was recorded for us to demonstrate his power that he was not just a unique teacher or a well, really good teacher. He was God in the flesh. He had the power over creation, power over healing. He rose people from the grave. 
Only God could do those things. And so he says, you, God, Jesus was attested by the miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him. Just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up, he was brought before the magistrate, put on trial. We know the, the gospel account of the cross. He was delivered up. And I've had people ask me, was it the Jews or was it the Romans that ultimately put Jesus on the cross? And I would say, actually, it was God, the Father. God the Father put him on the cross. Because it was God's determined plan and foreknowledge. He knew what it would cost and what would it take to rescue a people from their sin. And so before the world was even spun in, spoken into existence, he De determined that Jesus would be the means. It was God's determined plan and foreknowledge. You used lawless people. So this goes speaks to of evil. Why is it, if there's God so powerful? Why is there evil in the world? God is working even amongst the evil. God, thank God, is long suffering. He desires many co to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. So He puts up with this evil and sin, so that others may come to the family of God to hear this gospel that we are proclaiming today so that you too could come. He's long-suffering towards that so he could call out this special, unique people from the world and into his family through the gospel. But it was God's eternal plan to use lawless people to nail him to a cross and to kill him. God raised him up three days later. And what does Peter say, proclaim to them? In that resurrection, he ended the pains of death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says to him, this is King David way back in the Old Testament. I saw the Lord ever before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope. If you know King David's story, he had a lot to be discouraged about. He had many enemies in his life that were trying to take him down, including himself and his own heart. But we see here in, in the Psalms, uh, David crying out and saying, look, I'm finding hope in, in nothing of my own, but, but in Christ. And he's writing these down. This is inspired words that we are now given. And Paul's, or Peter's declaring these to us what David has written, because you will not abandon me in Hades, the place of the dead, or allow me, your Holy One, to see decay. The Holy One. He's speaking of, prophetically about Jesus. That he would not allow Jesus to see decay. Death of the body, we know, begins to decay the body. And this prophetic utterance is written hundreds of years before Jesus shows up and Peter stands up and says, this has been fulfilled in Christ. The Holy One will not see decay. There is much truth and much evidence of Christ and His resurrection if you're only willing and able to see it. And one of them is how all of these Old Testament prophecies who pointed to this one that, that God said in Genesis chapter 3, this he who would come would declare the tribe that he would come from, the lineage he would come from. Uh, uh, so many prophecies that Jesus alone fulfilled. Utterly amazing. 
there's without question that just mere chance one person could, uh, could fulfill all those prophecies because it was God's predetermined plan. And then there's evidence for us today as, long, as well as these eyewitnesses that have been recorded for us. He goes on, You have re- revealed the, the past to life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, Paul, Peter goes on to say, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb, with us is, his tomb is with us today. David's bones remain in the grave, is what he's saying. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to, to him to seat one of his descendants on the throne. One of those prophecies was that God promised David that his throne would endure forever, and the Gospels chronicalize Jesus' lineage that indeed Jesus comes from the lineage of King David. Both Matthew and Luke speak to that. And Peter's declaring this as evidence. He knew that God sworn an oath to them to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. David was speaking of this Messiah who would be raised, would not allow the Holy One to see decay. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. And he declares, as do I this morning, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. That is Peter's testimony of the risen Savior recorded and preserved for us today. Verse 33, Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out with you both, uh, he has poured out with you both sea and, oh man, I messed that one up. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. So there was just before this a massive demonstration, a pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the church, upon the, the apostles. And it was uh, the people in the crowd were standing around, what is going on? Are these guys drunk? What, what is happening? And so Peter's telling them, this is the work of the Spirit. And so I stand up here today, not trying to convince you to be saved, because I can't save you. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that this truth that I'm speaking today will be made evident in your own heart. It is through the miraculous working of the Spirit that this can be made, because it can be yours. And it typically follows out that if you, as you hear this proclamation that Jesus died for your sin, you, the Spirit convicts you of your need for Him. Your need to turn from religion and any other things and trust in Christ's accomplished work alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man... He says it himself, no man comes to the Father except by me. And it's the Spirit who will work and testify to the truth of that so that you too can turn from those things and receive Jesus and believe and indeed have eternal life by doing so as he makes the Spirit makes you born from above. He has poured out the Holy Spirit. He has poured out the Spirit and our prayer is that the Spirit would be poured out upon you today if you're outside of Christ, of your need to accept and believe and receive Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 34, For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, 
Only one man ascended and descended, the man Christ Jesus. It was not David who ascended to the heavens, but he himself, the, the Lord. That's Jesus himself. The Lord, he says, the, uh, this is again another song, the Lord declared to my Lord. So even though Jesus comes after David, David is saying, this descendant that will assume my throne will actually be my Lord. The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Peter goes on in verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you've crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He is from God, and he is the Lord of lords. He is the King of kings. He is your creator in the flesh. And it is he who has come in the flesh to rescue you this morning. He is the promised Messiah, the anointed one that has promised in the Old Testament. Jesus is the Messiah. He's declaring this to this crowd of people. He goes on to say, when they heard this, this crowd of people, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? If you're outside of Christ this morning, is that your question? Well, if that's the truth, what, what do I need to do? I remember 16 years ago having that same question in my mind. I'm like, I'm in the middle, I'm in a Baptist church, so I'm probably going to need to be baptized, right? Because I know they baptize. And what other things I got to do? And then I heard the good news. Repent. Have a change of mind. Turn from anything else and believe and trust in Christ alone. What should we do? They asked Peter, and Peter replied, repent. This word repent is a loaded term. Often we think repent means we need to be do good long enough and show God that we are earning merit with him by being how, how good, and we're really, really sorry for the sins that we counted, but that is not the biblical definition of repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. When you hear this gospel message that your works and your self-righteousness and your religion can't save you, none of that can save you, you have a change of mind and say, oh no, what should I do? This change of mind leads to a change in direction. You turn from those things and you turn to the living God and you believe and receive Christ. And to the Jewish mind, to be baptized, we have a new baptismal over here. It's almost done. And we've done some renovations in this church building, but the one I'm most excited about is that baptismal. Not because that baptismal saves anybody, but that that baptismal is used for people who encounter Jesus in a saving way to when they turn, repent, and they have a change of mind, and they trust in Christ alone. And Jesus saves them, and they know that they're a new person. They, they, they sense that they understand that Jesus saved them. They plucked them from the judgment that is to come. And they want to express their gratitude. And, and the, the scriptures declare, what are we to do after we are saved? Be baptized. To demonstrate to the world the death as you go down into the waters of baptism. You identify yourself in the death of Jesus Christ. 
As you come up out of the waters of baptism, you are transformed into newness of life, eternal life, because of what Christ has done. And going into the waters of baptism demonstrates to that, that's, demonstrates that has, what has happened in your heart to those outside in this world. And so Peter's response here is to a bunch of Israelite Jewish people who have identified not through baptism but through circumcision. And he's calling them to have a change of mind, saying, repent. Have a change of mind about that circumcision will not save you. Keeping the Mosaic law will not save you. What will save you is trusting in Christ. And you need to identify with his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. He asked Peter, what should you do? Peter's response, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I can confidently stand up here today and proclaim the good news because I know no matter how good of a sales pitch or salesman I may or may not be, it's not me who will convict you of your need to receive Jesus this morning. It is the power of the Spirit. But I can testify to you that if you do so, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God the Spirit will indwell you and he will empower you to live a new life of a life that's pleasing and honoring to God. That is the proclamation, and I can promise you that is my testimony. Because I've done religion. I've tried to do it in my own strength. I've tried to be good enough long enough to earn God's favor and love, only to fall flat on my face time and time again. But when I heard the good news of Jesus, and I turned from all the abandoned hope and all else and believed and received him, the Spirit moved in and made me new. It's my prayer that today, if you're outside of the Jesus, if you don't know Jesus in that saving way, that today would be the day when you yourself would cry out to Jesus. You would see your need and you would ask him to save you so that you too can rejoice with us of what Easter truly is about. That because Jesus rose from the grave demonstrating his power over death, all of us who are in Christ Jesus will one day have power over death. We were no longer, are no longer separated spiritually by God, and one day we will be bodily resurrected and new, into newness of life through the power of God, the gift of salvation in Christ Jesus, through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Peter goes on, for the promise is for you and for your children, and all and for all who are far off. As many as the Lord our God will call. Is God calling you this morning? It is not just for the Israelites. It is for us some 2,000 years later. I pray that if God's calling you, that you would cry out to him, that you'd receive him as your Savior. It is not just for the people of the Bible. It is for us some 2,000 years later and for all of mankind. Verse 40, with, who, with many other words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. Paul concludes, we started in 1 Corinthians this morning, in chapter 15, and, and this is what the resurrection and what Easter is truly all about in these closing verses. I mean, it's, it's hard, right? We, we get so wrapped up in this world and what we have to do tomorrow, right? We're already probably thinking about what we need to do tomorrow and the tasks we have next, next week, and, right? And uh, how are we going to pay the bills this month? And 
all these things that this world is throwing at us. And so when we hear this gospel call, we say, is this true? But the scriptures declare just as Jesus came the first time to seek and to save those who are lost, the scriptures declare that he's coming a second time. The promise of the resurrection is for us. We are to place our hope and trust on this coming event that will occur. And Paul says, when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, there's going to come a point when this body that is full of sickness, it's going to put on incorruptibility. And this mortal body is clothed with immortality, right? We are, we all, there's only two things in life that are sure, right? Death and taxes. Well, through the promise of Jesus, death is no longer an option. Those who are in Christ Jesus are made alive in Christ Jesus. And there's going to come a time when our mortal body, even if we're in the grave, will be clothed with immortality. We'll be, have resurrected bodies for all of eternity. And then the same that is written will take place. This same, death has been swallowed up in victory. Another Old Testament prophecy. Where death is your victory. Where death is is your sting. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. We know we're sinners because we, all we need to do is try to follow the Ten Commandments. And we know that we fall short. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives victory, gives us vic- the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, visitors, Jesus died for you. He loved you so much. He put his life on the cross and took the penalty that you deserve. He demonstrated his love for you. And all he does is stand and say, you must receive it. You must believe and trust in me alone. And this promise that we have just gone over this morning can be yours. There's victory over death. Both spiritually and our relationship with God and victory over the death of our mortal bodies. Revelation closes with this beautiful picture of the new heaven and the new earth, and it says where God will be dwelling with his people, and there will be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death. That's all because Jesus did rise from the grave. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to celebrate the best news of all. So thankful, God. I just can't get over what you've done. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. Thank you for the promise and knowing that as I believe and trust in him, that I too await the resurrection. I too await the body that is immortal because of what Christ has done. And I pray, Father, there are many in this church building that also are raising up praise and adoration to you this morning because they too agree and are thankful for what you've done. And I also pray for those who, who are outside of the saving grace of, of, of Jesus, that your spirit would convict them of their need, that they would cry out to Jesus, and that you would miraculously save them for your glory. We ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen. This is just a song of invitation now. I'm going to be down here at the front, and I'd love to be able to show you from Scripture how the realities of eternal life that's found in Jesus 
can be yours personally. We can step into the other room. Uh, even after services, if you want to talk about that, if you have questions, I'm here to answer those and to open you up from the Word of God to answer any of those questions that you might have. This is a time for us to just to give worship back to God for what He's done through us in Jesus Christ as we sing. Mm-hmm.